Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. So we set up the Christmas tree, we put the lights on the tree. I mean, the amount of work that the volunteers have put into making Christmas happen has just made it like absolutely crazy. And this whole season, right? Like there's cookies to bake, there's hot chocolate to drink, there's parties to attend, there's presents to wrap, there's songs to sing, there's tree lightings to attend, FYI, tonight at six o'clock. Um, and, uh, and all the things that this season brings can kind of just like make everything very, very chaotic. It's like as soon as you finish your trip to fan nap from Turkey, Christmas starts. And it doesn't start until or stop until January 2nd. Just the chaos of, of life. And really, we should, be, we should recognize this season, we should, should be known for being still and being appreciative of what Jesus has done for us. If you call yourself a Christian, that is the goal of this season. It's not just like overly festive sweaters or anything like that. It's not just kids singing and traditions and all of this stuff. It is legitimately to point people back to Jesus. Actually, I remember when I was young, speaking of the chaos of the season, I was young, and we were at the mall the, uh, the week after Christmas, for whatever reason. I don't know who goes to the mall the week after Christmas. You probably forgot batteries, right? Um, so we're at the mall, and um, uh, we're walking through, and I distinctly remember there was this poster board at the Merced Mall as we're walking through, and this was back when, like, malls were the epicenter of Christmas shopping. This was like when my mom and my aunts and my grandma the day after Thanksgiving would wake up and like go on a two-day excursion to go get all of the shopping done and fight the crowds and all that stuff. That's back when this was happening. And so we're at the mall the week after Christmas and there is this poster board sitting there and it says Christmas shoppers at 11 p.m. on December 24th. And they just had pictures of people like lined up on the poster board, like some sort of like hall of shame for all of these people. Now, two things kind of stick out. The first thing that stuck out is it was like 99% male, right? And it was weird because they all had like Sears bags, like my wife will like this tool, I promise, right? You know, whatever it may be. Um, but the second thing I noticed was like that I just remember thinking to myself was, and this, like Christmas Eve is supposed to be a time, at least in my family it was, a time for us to like be together, to hang out, to wear the matching jammies, to take the photos, to drink the hot chocolate, to sit around the fire, to sing Christmas carols. If we didn't feel like singing Christmas carols, like when we were younger, we had cousins who would come and hang out and like we'd do like the Christmas play we would do every time. And I'm sure it was like really, really good Christmas play. Um, and like that's what Christmas Eve meant to me. And all of these people are out shopping on Christmas Eve at 11 p.m. On, on Christmas Eve. And now today, obviously, it's Amazons and wish lists, and if I can order it the 23rd and still get it here by the 25th and all of this, all of this stuff. Um, but in the last-minute craziness of the season, these people, these shoppers, I feel like these shoppers missed Christmas. They missed Christmas, at least that, that portion it's actually a few years back, there was a, uh, a mayor, not locally, probably in the South somewhere, who wanted to make sure that everyone knew it was Christmas. Wanted to make sure everybody remembered what the purpose of Christmas was. So on Christmas Eve, he had arranged to make sure that all of the stoplights at one specific point in time were all going to turn red for one minute, right? Just so those people in the town, and he told them about it, it wasn't just like, uh, there's no red lights, I'm going to break the law like I would do, right? Because it's like one minute of no green light, unacceptable. Um, but this person, this guy, this mayor was like, no, I want our town to remember why it is that we celebrate Christmas, to stop and take in this season in a very, very real way, simply to make sure that people did not miss Christmas. Now think about your holiday season for a minute. 
And I don't know what it is for you, whether it's the parties, the fanfare, all of which on the surface level are all good things, but which of these things are distracting you and possibly causing you to miss out on Christmas? And not like the shoppers who were, who were physically gone, but maybe for you it's the busyness of the season that causes you to focus on, on everything but why it is that we celebrate. Maybe it's simply things like traditions, or maybe it's your work that demands you to be in regardless of what, what day of the year it is. Maybe you're, maybe you're even doing it yourself at work so you can get ahead. Maybe like in the pursuit of giving your family a better life financially than you had, you are alienating all of them by working too much. Maybe that's the sacrifice of Christmas that, that you're putting forth. Or maybe you're cri- fo- missing Christmas by focusing on what you can buy your kids or what it is that you can, you can buy your grandkids so they have a great December 25th. When in reality, that may be even the reason your kids are missing Christmas. Right? If they think the reason for the season is presents and Santa, we may have an issue on our hands. Like, I don't know what it is for you, but know that if that is true for any of you, you aren't the first people to miss out on Christmas. In fact, I'm, I'm pretty terrified that the majority of the world actually is going to miss out on Christmas. Because most people, no matter where they are or what their circumstances are, miss it. And it sounds initially like that would be kind of a, a silly statement, like a ridiculous statement, because it's pretty hard to miss since we're all drowning in a sea of advertising and publicity and public relations and promotion and all this stuff, all these things about Christmas. So there's no question about the fact that we know that there is a Christmas celebration. I'm just not sure we know what the Christmas celebration is really about. At least pragmatically, it seems as though we're blind, deaf, and dumb to the reality of Christmas. And so in spite of all the media and the advertising and all of those things that uh, attract our attention, I think a lot of people are going to miss it, and not just the Christmas Eve shoppers at Merced Mall. But as I thought about it, it's kind of because of the fact that there is so much cluttered up at this time. Now, for us who know and love Jesus, Christmas is a time to focus on his birth, focus on him coming to earth. But let me give you a little bit of history of Christmas to show, you, to show you what I mean. Just like this season is cluttered with a whole bunch of other things. And some of it's our fault. Others is just, man, these are some, some, a lot of old traditions. So I'm going to tell you where Christmas came from, specifically December 25th, 25th, celebrating Christmas. In the middle of the 4th century, there was a bishop in Jerusalem. And this bishop in Jerusalem writes to this bishop in Rome. He's like, hey, look, we need to figure out when Jesus' birthday is right? Now, again, hundreds of years after Jesus was born, we got to figure out his birthday. And so the bishop in Rome writes back, and he's like, December 25th. I was like, that's kind of strange. How did you come to, to that arrival of December 25th? But regardless, at the end of the fourth century, this had actually become the accepted custom. And since then, every single December 25th after that focuses on the birth of Christ, after the pope kind of wrote it into law. And so because that December 25th is, is the day Bible scholars, though, know that there's absolutely no evidence that Christ, that Jesus, was born on that day. There's actually evidence to the contrary to say that Jesus was actually born closer in the spring or possibly, possibly summer. But the question then becomes, why did the bishop of Rome, why did the pope, why did the bishop of Jerusalem do this? Well, the conclusion is, is that he did it kind of arbitrarily. He was like, ah, let's get back into history. Let's look why he did it. December was actually the major pagan month of celebrations, like the height of pagan religion celebrations. December's this month of festivals and feasts and things and all kinds of pageants put on by pagans in order to honor all of their gods as winter had kind of reached its peak. 
reached the fullness of winter, and they were anticipating the thaw, kind of the downslope of winter at this point. The thaw, the spring, the planting, kind of the, the strength of the sun returning, the clouds rolling back, like the whole thing. And so December became a, a time of like this high, like boisterous, pagan sort of revelry. Like we're going to celebrate. This is going to just, December's going to be a massive party. And so some examples, there's, there's lots of examples found in pagan history in December, there, but, but a lot of them are feasting, which I always think is interesting because if that's true, then America and specifically Baptists, like we got that one down, congratulations. But decorating homes with evergreens, that comes from pagan tradition. I'm going to tell you a little bit about that one. Hanging trinkets on the trees, lighting candles, things with mistletoe, exchanging gifts in general, like all these different things, they would eventually, though, deteriorate into drunkenness and really, really crude happenings. Won't go into them here. This is a family show. Okay, but really, really crude things would happen. And so this is why the bishop actually chose December. He chose December because he focused on the 25th because that seemed to be kind of the high point of all of these festivities. This is when it was kind of reaching its, its pinnacle. And the thought was this, the wild kind of winter celebrations of all of these different pagan religions and traditions need to be made holy by Christianity. So we will impose our celebration of the birth of Christ on the pagan traditions in order for us to sanctify all of those traditions, in order for us to make all of those kind of celebrations more more holy. And it's a nice thought, right? It's a nice, it's a nice thought, but the thought was actually dead wrong because what happened was is the pagan parties went on and the church was not able to make them comfort, uh, conform to, to true Christian celebration. So none of it actually happened. And so what we have now is actually this weird marriage of the pagan and the Christian that we kind of call Christmas. One of the common customs among, among the Romans as a matter of fact, it's native to them. The month of December was important because it marked what is known as the Festival of Saturnalia, okay? And this is probably more than most of you care about. But Saturn was the god of our agriculture, okay? Now, you farmers are like, okay, hold up, I'll listen, okay. Uh, the god of agriculture, and they were then, like, holding this huge feast. And the feast involved a whole bunch of terrible things, prostitution, all kinds of drunkenness, and everything in honor of Saturn that he might, to bring, might begin to bring spring early so the crops could be grown. So they would have a good kind of season. And one of the common customs among the Romans at Saturnalia was giving gifts to one another. And so as far as we can tell, this exchanging of gifts actually comes from this pagan holiday that the Romans celebrated. And by the way, in the midst of that festival, the most common gifts were little idols with the, that were made in the image of Roman gods. They were made out of clay, made out of marble, made out of silver. They were gifts that were given in exchange with each other. But beyond that, the Romans were actually really big on putting evergreen trees inside their houses. Huh. And beyond that, they were, uh, there were wreaths, and, and at least initially, like, this is where these things came from. There's lots of these stories. The Northland people, the Druids, they celebrated Odin and Thor with the festival of Yule in December. Holland got us the tradition of St. Nicholas. Christmas cards were started in 1846 in London from a broke artist who wanted to capitalize on the popularity of Christmas. So anyone who says that the greeting card companies are just making up holidays to get rich, correct, they are. So there's a ton of traditions and a ton of celebrations that happen all of the time, and some of them have pagan roots, but regardless of where these traditions come from, our goal in this season is to continue to point people straight back to the nativity scene that so many of us are familiar with, which happens in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. It says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. 
This was the first census that took place while Quirinius, the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. Remember that. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for a baby to be born, for the baby to be born, excuse me. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So we all miss Christmas sometimes. And sometimes it's in the busyness of life. Sometimes it's the craziness of life. Sometimes it's just the time of life that we find ourselves. If you are surrounding yourselves with thousands of children like we have in our life, it just gets busy. It just gets crazy. Or if you say yes to every single social gathering, it just gets busy. It just gets kind of crazy. But the good news is you're not the first person to miss Christmas. Actually, I think the first person to miss Christmas was actually this innkeeper that we kind of hear about. This guy who said, nope, we got no room in the inn. And you all know the story that Mary and Joseph, they're riding on, and Mary's riding on a donkey, and they're going back to their hometown, and they got to figure out, for a, look for a place to stay. And so they go to this inn, and they knock at the door, the innkeeper comes to the door, he's like, sorry, we don't have any room. But here's a barn. Go ahead. You can, yeah, you guys can go, go stay in the barn. The barn could have been a lot of different things, by the way. Uh, a lot of people, we, we don't know. We think of a barn like a stable, right? I mean, that's what your nativity lives under is two wooden planks and, or two wooden planks and, and two more wooden planks with a star on top, and it's beautiful. Did anybody have a nativity they weren't allowed to touch growing up? Because I did. I had like four of them. They were glass, and they were sitting up on, uh, on my grandmother's, uh, on top of her fireplace, and I wasn't allowed to touch it because it was adorned with angel hair, spun glass, right? And she was always like, you're going to cut your fingers if you touch it. I know the truth, though. She didn't want me to break her nativity. Anyway, so, so this could have been anywhere. Most scholars believe now today that this actually was in a cave somewhere. That was a tradition that oftentimes they kept animals in the caves to keep them sheltered, to keep them away from storms and that sort of thing. So it could have been a, a cave, it could have been a lean-to, it could have been a whole bunch of different things. But this innkeeper, he, he confronts a pregnant woman and her husband, and he has no room for them. No space for them anywhere, and so he missed it. Right? If you look back at, at verse 7, he not only missed it by not letting them stay with him, but he missed it by being so indifferent, he doesn't even appear to have called for any help for Mary. Assuming this happened the same night, that they got there, they're looking for a place, there's no room in the inn, okay, you can go stay in there. Assuming that Mary had the baby that night, and we don't know for sure, but assuming that is true, and this also being Mary's first child, she's probably showing signs of labor at this point. It's my assumption anyway. I mean, Sarah's gone through labor five times, which means I've gone, gone through labor five times. I'm not claiming labor, ladies, okay, just to be clear, okay? But those timelines, they take a long time, right? So most likely Mary may be showing signs of labor at this, uh, at this time. And so he misses it by being so indifferent that he didn't even appear to call for any help from Mary when she gave birth. Because verse 7 is all about a very, very lonely birth. Seems like Mary's kind of all, all by herself. It doesn't say even where Joseph was here. And to be fair, if you know anything about dads, they're usually not much help during childbirth anyway. It's like go boil a pot of water just to keep you busy. I actually had a friend, by the way. <laughs> I hope he doesn't watch this. Sorry, Jake. Um, he, uh, he passed out when his life, wife was giving birth. It's one of the like, classic man cold things, right? Like, oh my gosh, this is so difficult. I'm going to pass out and be in a bed right next to my wife giving birth just because she can't have all the credit. You know what I mean? So anyway, 
But we don't know where Joseph is. It says nothing about Joseph being there. And other translations, the ESV says that Mary brought forth her own son. Is the, is, is the way that it reads. She brought forth her own son. And then it says she wrapped him in swaddling cloth. Mar- Mary did. No one else. Mary wrapped him in swaddling cloth. Where were the midwives? Where were the people who were supposed to care for things like that? Where was the innkeeper? Didn't he know anybody who could, could help? Didn't he maybe even like call his wife so she could con- help concern herself with this? Or wasn't some sort of assistance to Mary? Then it says she laid him in a manger, an animal feeding trough. Swaddling, swaddling cloth, by the way, were these long kind of strips of cloth. And, and when an infant was born, immediately after getting cleaned up, the infant would be wrapped up in these swaddling cloths, its limbs, its bodies, all these things. And then, of course, an, an, an outer blanket. And that was, tra- that was the tradition. And certainly there would have been a midwife to, to clean up the baby, to handle all of those things. But no, Mary did that too. This was indeed a lonely birth. And whatever hospitality Mary and Joseph may have looked for, whatever hospitality they may have anticipated was not made available to them. Whatever reason, for whatever reason, they were turned away. The innkeeper missed Christmas. And so the more I thought about it, I was like, why is it, why is it that he missed all of these signs? And granted, we're on the other side of this, like we're reading back into it of like, hey, dummy, didn't you recognize Mary on a donkey? She's a virgin. Like we, we think that side of things. And it amazes me that he missed it, even though it probably happened on his own property. So why did he miss Christmas? I think the simple answer is preoccupation. I think he's just busy. I mean, think about the things that are going on in the town right now. It just seems to be the best fit. He was so busy. His inn was full, or his guest room was full, or all his little lean-tos were full. Why? Remember, the census is going on. Everybody's coming back at this point. Everybody's coming back to Bethlehem. The city was literally filling up with everybody who ever had any sort of ancestry there. And so it was full. It was bulging. And they were coming to the city. And since it was the city of David, who, like, that was their line. That was Mary and Joseph's line. So they had to go back there. The city is full. So that's where they were, bursting with people. And the innkeeper was busy caring for his guests in his house. Whatever the situation he was involved with, and he wasn't hostile, Right? He wasn't unloving. He wasn't unsympathetic. He wasn't really indifferent. He was just busy. Real, real busy. And we see this all the time. You and I, we see this all the time. People ask, how are you? And our response is what? Busy. Busy. And sometimes we kind of wear it like a, like a badge of honor, right? Like, oh, real busy. Like somehow being busy equates importance in some way. Yeah, I'm, now I'm busy. And, it, and for some reason, our culture, it's okay for our schedules to be filled for the brim. It's okay for us to be so full. We don't think about our deepest desires. Instead, we think about our strongest desires. Think about for that for a second, because those are two different things, our deepest desire versus our strongest desire. If you're a Christian, if you're someone who calls Jesus your Lord and Savior, we would say that at Christmas time, our deepest desire should be to point people back to Jesus, to point people to the birth of the God-man. That should be our deepest desire. But what happens is at Christmas time, when chaos ensues, when things happen, our strongest desire then comes out. Our strongest desire being things like, I hope I got a present that this person is going to think good enough of me for. So our deepest desires and our strongest desires, like how do those, how do those things happen? 
Or we worry our our kids won't have a great Christmas if they don't get the newest or the best toy or the best thing. One of my favorite Christmases that, uh, that Sarah and I had was years ago. It was probably nine or 10 years ago. More than that. I'm getting old. 12, 11, 12, 13 years ago. Uh, back when we only had two kids, which means Sarah was probably pregnant. Um, but we weren't doing well financially. And not like we were drowning in debt or anything like that. But, but Sarah, we had decided to let Sarah stay home. We wanted her to be with the kids and, and help raise our kids and all that stuff. And, and so I was going to be a teacher now, all of you teachers out there know how rich you become being a teacher. Um, and so we were fine, but we just didn't have extra money for Christmas this year. It was hard. And so Sarah and I, we, you know, we put our brains together. And we're like, hey, you know what? What could we, how could we celebrate Christmas the best? And so we just decided we were going to make all of our gifts, right? Like we were those people that Christmas. Um, but they ended up being one of our favorite Christmases. We made our kids gift, and, and what we did is we had like scrap wood and craft supplies and like imagination. Like, okay, what can we do with this, right? Like, uh, like Apollo 13, this is what they have, create with it. Um, and so with our kids, what we did is we, uh, I used scrap wood and I used some pegboard and I built a, a little tool shelf for them, like a, like, like a, a tool thing and they could hang up all of their tools. And then Sarah got black and orange paint and paint, painted it because go Giants, put an A on the back, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, and our kids love, we look back at some of those photos and we got them like new plastic, like hammers and wrenches and all of that stuff. And we look back on those photos like, man, that was a great, a great Christmas. Beyond that, like uh, we did this, some some of the things for my mother-in-law, my my mom, and Sarah like crafted it up, and um, they still have them up in their house. And I'm like, hey, it's like made of cardboard and yarn, right? Like, hey, it's probably time to throw that away. Um, my brother-in-law, I made something for him. He still uses on a regular basis as well. And so like we look back on that and we, we so oftentimes would think to ourselves, we have this pressure, we have this chaos of the Christmas season. So because of that, I have to perform, I have to do all of these things. But in that season for Sarah and I, we were forced to stop. We were forced to slow down because we couldn't afford anything cool anyway. So because I were like, hey, how is it that we can honor these people? What would these people really, really like? And we are going to make it with our own two hands because we couldn't afford anything cool anyway. And our time is demanded by a thousand other things, right? Our possessions, we're so busy figuring out what it is that we want, how to get it at the cheapest price, buying it, taking care of it, polishing it, storing it, keeping it up. And we see it more now than ever, specifically at at Christmas time, it sticks out like a sore thumb, this misappropriation of the meaning of Christmas. And granted, we have to admit that it's on the, on the innkeeper's part, it's, it, it was an ignorant preoccupation. He didn't know any better. He didn't know who Mary was. He didn't know who Joseph was. Didn't know that she was pregnant with the Savior of the world. Like, he didn't know. He just didn't know. Ignorant preoccupation. I look at the world, and that's what I see that so many people simply just don't know. They don't know who Christ actually is. And so because of that, they miss Christmas. They don't know why it is he came. They're just ignorantly preoccupied with the mundane and the meaningless. And how sad is it for us to live our entire lives in the mundane, meaningless sort of activity? The innkeeper missed it. He was too busy. Don't be the innkeeper. So look at your own life then. Have you spent more time shopping than you have adoring Christ coming to the earth? Did you spend more money on stuff than you've invested in the kingdom of God? Like maybe you've fallen into this trap too where the innkeeper was, just simply preoccupied. 
And hear me, I'm not saying don't do anything. Yeah, I'm not saying don't, don't decorate for Christmas. I'm not saying don't do the present thing or the party or anything like that. Like, I want you to do all of those things. I want you to have the best light show of your entire neighborhood because Christians should celebrate this season better than anybody else. Like, have a party where you invite all of your family and friends. Like, do the gift giving and the matching PJs and all of the things that this season entails. But do not miss the celebration of the person of God coming to earth. That's what I want to point you back to. Christmas is the beginning of this celebration for us of, of the church, a celebration of the Savior of the world, and that concludes at Easter time every single year. So the question becomes, why is it important for us to remember Jesus in this season? Aren't the familial traditions and getting together and being together and loving one another, aren't those things good enough? The short answer of that is no. It's not. And that's largely not what Christmas is about. Jesus didn't come because it's an awesome story of a baby in a manger and donkeys and magi and shepherds and all those different things. Jesus came for a reason, and it wasn't Santa hats. Jesus came because of what it says in Romans 3.23, where it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's why Jesus came. So if you're in here this morning, and you're like, you know what, love is going to get us through. It won't. Why? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you look back to Genesis chapter 3, and actually Genesis chapter 1 and 2, there's creation, right? And God, he's creating everything. The Spirit of the Lord is hovering over the waters in the beginning of the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. He was there. Jesus was there as well. And so Genesis 1 and 2, everything is good. Everything is created. And then Genesis 3 happens. We see a serpent appear. And he goes over to Eve. He talks to Eve. And Eve is like, yep, I'm going to eat that fruit, specifically that God told us not to eat. So she eats it, Adam eats it, and then from that point forward, we are destined for death. We are sinful creatures is what Romans tells us. We are sinful creatures is what Genesis chapter 3 tells us. And so the remainder of the Old Testament is consistently pointing people, manhood, humanity, back to the fact that they can't do it on their own, that there needs to be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect atonement for their sins. Why? Because Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the wages of sin is death. So no, love is not enough. Why? Because even if you love really, really, really well, it's never going to be perfect. And the wages of your sin is actually death, both physical and spiritual. So what do we do about that? You do nothing. Jesus came because apart from a perfect sacrifice, there's no way that we were going to be able to be in heaven with our loving creator, the God of the universe. It was impossible. And Jesus was born into a manger in that lonely sin because apart from him coming to earth to die and ultimately conquer death, there was no way for anyone to be with him for eternity. Well, why would God do that? Why would he come? If we sin against him all the time, we sin against his standard. Well, John 3, 16, say it if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So why did he come? That's why, because God loves you a whole lot. And he doesn't want to see you perish even though the wages of sin is death. So what did he do? He sent his son, the God-man, on Christmas. This was an invasion this was setting right in the world that was completely and totally broken. Do not miss the person of Jesus this Christmas. Maybe I'll put it this way. Don't be so busy with Christmas that you miss out on Christmas. So do all the things you can do without sacrificing your time of communing with God. Celebrate Christmas to the best of your ability without sacrificing your time reading his word 
without sacrificing your time praying, without sacrificing Jesus on the mantle of Christmas. Celebrate Christmas. Church, can you imagine what it would look like if we actually celebrated Jesus over Christmas every single year rather than giving in to what the world demands of us during this time of year of just like the chaos and the opulence and the excess? I think the church would be packed, and not simply because of traditions, but because we want nothing more than to point people back to the cross. And that trek starts with Jesus being born to the Virgin Mary 2,000 years ago. That's where it starts. And so today, it's the first, first Sunday of the month. That means we get to receive communion. And we got ushers and deacons in the back. If you, if you miss communion elements on the way in, you can just raise your hand. They'll get to you eventually. Keep them nice and, nice and high. There's a lot of you in here, so keep them nice and high. So we're going to remember that death and burial and resurrection of Jesus with communion. If you're new to FBH, we want you to know that we believe in what's called an open table. That means you do not have to be a member of FBH in order to partake in communion. We would ask that you are a member of the family of God, though, meaning you have said yes to Jesus, that you have found a, a saving faith in Jesus, and we ask that you would not partake unless you have made that decision to follow him. If you haven't made that decision, and maybe something you heard today, whether it's the wages of sin is death, or you know, all, all of us have fallen and are, we're in need of a savior, or simply the fact that God loved you enough to send his son on Christmas to enter into the world. I don't know where it is that you necessarily find yourself today. If that's you though, we'll give you an opportunity to respond in just a minute when we pray. But for the rest of us in here, and I'm going to say the lion's share of us in here, I want you to take this time and examine your own heart like 1 Thessalonians tells us to. Take a second and examine your own heart. And I want you to simply be present with the Lord and ask him to forgive your sin, ask him to forgive your complacency, ask him to forgive your preoccupation in this season. And maybe it's greed and lust and all the other sins that maybe you're, you're dealing with. I don't know, whatever it is, but ask the Holy Spirit to give you a renewed vision of what Christmas actually is as we go from this place. That should be our goal, to commune with God as we partake in communion. So the band's gonna play a new song today. And I want you to know this song exemplifies both why we receive communion, what Jesus did on the cross, and his coming to earth at, Christ, at Christmas time all of those years ago. And then after we sing this song, we'll receive communion together. And then we'll finish by singing the rest of the song together. But why don't you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, God, thank you for Christmas time. Wherever it is, whenever it was that Jesus was born, just thank you for Christmas time. And thank you for the opportunity to celebrate that time in December this year. And God, help us to understand that it's not about the tradition, it's not about the presents, it's not about the trees, it's not about all of those different things. It's not even about our family. That it's about you and your son and the fact that you loved us enough to send him to earth 2,000 years ago, that he would stretch himself into skin, that he would go to a cross for every single one of our sins, that he would bleed and he would die and he would conquer death a few days later. Why? Because you love us. And you want us to be with you forever. So with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you today, 
and you think to yourself, I have yet to make a profession of faith. I have yet to say yes to Jesus in my own life. Or maybe you've said yes to a Jesus a thousand times and you just got to get your head right. With head still bowed and eyes still closed, if that's you, I'm just going to give you an opportunity in the quietness of your heart. You don't have to say anything out loud, but just simply repeat after me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior that I fall short every single day and the wages of sin is death. I admit that. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. Thank you for that, Father. And so because of that, I would choose to follow you every single day of my life. That I would honor you in my choices. I would honor you in my traditions. I would honor you in how I celebrate this season with our goal being to point people straight back to you. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.